welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Sets of Church Leaders podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and today you're going to enjoy a conversation with Nikki Gumbel. Nikki's the former vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton in London. Together with his wife, Pippa, Nikki has pioneered Alpha, an introduction to the Christian faith run by all major Christian denominations in 169 countries. Nikki's also the author of several books, including Questions of Life and the Bible in One Year. Before we talk with Nikki, we want to remind you that if you're enjoying our interviews, be sure to leave us a review. Now let's go to Ed Stetzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and Executive Director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Well, Nikki, again, super excited to have this conversation. It's been a few months since we had tea at your at your home yes. with Nikki, you and Pippa yes. and Donna. Wonderful and got to visit. And I, for me, I was just, partly my fascination was uh, you know, having, I, w- I just taught at St. Melitus. I mean, I-, I need to explain all these things and we'll go through this as well, but your influence across Christianity in Britain is often hard to explain maybe to an American and a lot of our aunts would be American, but let's start with this little background about you, uh, you know, your, your, where you came to Christ, your ministry, just tell, tell us a little bit of your story. So my father was a refugee. He was a Jewish, secular Jew, and he was fleeing from the Nazis and he came to this country, having read Mein Kampf, he saw what was happening and came to this country. And uh, he was a lawyer. He was disbarred. He was stopped from practicing in Germany because he was Israelite. He was Jewish and not allowed to practice law there. So he came over here and he qualified as a barrister here, as opposed to a barista. Some people think we're a family of baristas, but actually we're, we're barristers. Um <laughs> And uh, he, my mother was also a barrister. If you're not familiar with barristers, like attorneys, I think probably is the best way, a lawyer. Um, and they met. And um, my sister and I were not brought up with any kind of um, church going. Um, they weren't, neither of my parents were churchgoers or practicing Christians. Um, and I became an atheist as a teenager and quite a vociferous atheist. But during my first year at Cambridge University, um, I read the New Testament, and as a result, like, when I read the New Testament, it was as if the person I was reading about, Jesus, emerged from the pages that I was reading, and, uh, and um, I encountered him. And it was a life-changing moment. Um, and I realized that Jesus w- w- said, you know, I, I came that you might have life mm. and have it in all its fullness. And that what I life that I'd had before was not life in all its fullness, um, and it was so transformative that I knew that the the most loving thing that I could do would be to tell other people, because as I reflect now, there are many injustices in the world: poverty, um, racial injustice, preventable disease. There are all kinds of terrible injustices in the world. But the greatest injustice is never to have heard the good news about Jesus mm. uh, because it's life-changing. And people are looking for purpose. They're looking for love. They're looking to belong. And ultimately, Jesus is the one who came that we might have life and have it in all its fullness. So since that moment, I have been passionate about passing it on. 
I've not been very good at it. I've made many, uh, many attempts that have not really been productive, but that's been the passion of my life since then. Fascinating. And um, you, of course, were a barrister, as you as you say, an attorney, a lawyer. We'd say around here. Uh, my brother's yeah. one. I know there are actually okay. Christian lawyer. I know there are Christian lawyers. I've met both of them. Yeah. So so then Zenas you uh, then, in, the, in the New Testament, Zenas the lawyer. Exactly. So there exactly. are Christian lawyers. There are one. So, so then um, you went to Wycliffe. Of course, we have a mutual connection there. I'll be teaching there this uh, this autumn, as you say there, rather than fall, and and excited about that. And then you really the ministry. You you do all your we'd say here. You do all your ministry chops at Holy Trinity, right? You end up there. You end up in this space. So tell us a little about the journey there. So I did ten years of law, and then I went to train. At, I did a theology degree at Oxford, and then um, I came back to HDB, which is the church that I've been at since 1976. And I've been there ever since, basically, for the last 46 years. So um, I love HDB. And it's it's uh, we've watched under the ministry of John Collins and Sandy Miller. Uh, and now Archie Coates, who is the new vicar of, of um, Holy Trinity, and is doing an outstanding job. Um, I was my enormous privilege to hand over the leadership to Archie and Sam Coates and to see the church just take off in a new way under his leadership. And uh, it's thrilling to see that. They're seeing a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit there at the moment. Yeah, fascinating. And I got to spend a little time with Archie and just, you know, got to know a little bit of his heart, which was which is awesome and fascinating. Um, so, okay, so then you are, um, again, it, it's, it's Americans, most of our audience are Americans, not all. We recognize we've got people, all the world listens. But um, but the idea of a megachurch is much more common here in the United States. Over 2,000 churches meet that qualification, but a handful uh, meet that qualification in the UK. So so under uh, you, know, you and then your predecessors, HDB becomes not just a megachurch, but and, and I want you to tell a little bit of the story of HDB's growth, but then how you started seeding. I mean, I, 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 was, I spoke at uh, Pattern Church in Swindon, and they call themselves, you know, the pastor knows you. They call themselves an HDB partner church. And there are, I think I did, I think I preached at three churches that called themselves HDB partner churches. So again, it's the influence. 140. 140. 140. Yeah, so talk uh, to us a little bit I'm about. The fastest growing churches in the Church of England, 140 of the fastest growing churches of the, in the Church of England. And it, it's thanks to John Collins and Sandy who had that vision. And now Archie, who is leading it. Yeah. So, so Archie then, okay. But I want to go back to where, when you were there, um, you were at HDB. HDB comes as influential church. You already were had these partner churches, but explain to people the growth of HDB and then the growth of the partnerships. What does that look like? So when I, when I I started going to HDB in 1976, it was a typical Anglican dying Anglican church, about 50 people in the congregation, no one under 50. Um, and Sandy had arrived. Sandy Miller had arrived as a curate there, um, and. Uh, he started a small group in his house um, uh, with six of us. I only went because I heard that he'd been a barrister and I wanted to get some advice. And um, he opened his diary. It was completely empty. He had no nothing on at all. He said, come and have tea, come and have lunch the next day. Then I'm starting a small group. And on Tuesday um, night, he started a small group um, and there were six of us. And he preached as if uh, he was Billy Graham in some stadium, preached the gospel. And he said, if anyone wants to give their life to Christ, come forward. 
and there are only six of us in the room, but one young lady did called Caroline, and uh, she was about to go off to uh, Durham University, and he said to her, um, when you're there, I I've got a friend there, and I'll ask him to look after you. So Sandy rang his friend, Justin, um, and said, uh, will you look after Caroline? And Justin, who's now the Archbishop of Canterbury, looked after her very well. And in fact, he married her. <laughs> um, and so they've been married since 19, whatever it is, 78, I think they got married, same time as us. And um, But that group, that small group grew from six. And then Sandy planted a new connect group out of that group. Nikki and Silla Lee ran it. And then Wheaton, Pepper and I ran one. And then it grew. And uh, we used to meet together once a month. Uh, it was called The Joint. Slightly unfortunate name now. No, uh, but, uh, but the um but uh and it grew until it was bigger than the services on Sunday. And then he started an evening service and that grew, and then the church just grew and grew and grew. And then in 1985, we did our first church plant um into an empty church, which 50 people went, or hundred people went on that one, and then another one in Battersea in 1987. And uh, now that is accelerating. So uh, whereas it was used to be one every two or three years, now it's like, I think this year we've done at least 20 already. Um, and um, uh, it's accelerating, 140. I was just with one this weekend up in Liverpool. Uh, it's already the largest, probably one of the largest Anglican churches in Liverpool. It's only been going two years. Uh, it's where the Beatles were. Paul McCartney. There's a, there's a, the, um, one of the, the pews in the choir stools has a plaque that Paul McCartney sang there, sat there from 1954 to 1956. And it's in Penny Lane. Um, and if you know the Beatles music, you'll know that Penny Lane is very significant. And um, they, uh, that church is now, it was empty pretty much. And um, now it's packed out and they're themselves looking to plant churches. So the, the, the churches that we've planted are now planting. That's why instead of addition, it's now multiplication. Yeah, no, it's been amazing to see the impact that's there. Now, um, you know, in, in America, we, we we think in terms historically of British evangelicalism being a little more, maybe a little more buttoned up. Um, uh, you know, here, the, the, the HDB world is much more decidedly charismatic. It's much more spirit-filled. Spirit I came to Christ in the charismatic movement of the Episcopal Church. Um, so, you know, saw some of the, when I, when I was there at HDB, kind of saw and felt a lot of what that might be like. Where, where does the charismatic emphasis, the spirit-filled emphasis, how does that fit in and why is it so central and essential to what's going on? I think that, um, well, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And um, uh, that sometimes the Holy Spirit has been ignored or neglected or even resisted in the church. And uh, we always pray this prayer, come Holy Spirit. Every service, we pray that prayer. And the Holy Spirit works and people's lives are changed uh, because primarily transformation happens through God's Spirit. It's, it's his initiative. It's always God's initiative. God is sovereign and God takes action. But we, we, have, we pray the most ancient prayer in the church every Sunday, come Holy Spirit. And uh, we've seen amazing things happen over over the years and and the same in the church plants so i was up in liverpool uh, one of the, probably the third biggest city in in the country last weekend in this church uh, uh, in uh, paul mccartney's old church and i prayed again they pray every sunday come holy spirit mm 
and uh, people's lives are changed because the, the Holy Spirit gives us an experience of God's love. The love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. People need to experience God's love. And that's at, right at the heart of the New Testament. Um, everything that Jesus taught uh, can be summarized as uh, God loves you, love God and love your neighbor. And um, it start. we love because he first loved us. And it's the Holy Spirit who get, we know through the cross that God loves us. The, as St. Paul wrote, the Son of God loved me and gave Himself for me. If you'd been the, you or I been the only person on the planet, or any of your listeners right now have been the only person on the planet, Jesus would have died for you. That's how much He loves you. Mm. And the experience of the Holy Spirit, uh, the experience of God's love, comes from the Holy Spirit. And therefore, the work of the Holy Spirit is key. And the Holy Spirit transforms our lives, makes us more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, kind, generosity, all the fruit of the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Um, the, the, on the day of Pentecost, as you know, there are great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't end on the day of Pentecost. It continues through history. And we pray constantly for a new Pentecost in the church. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, now again, we have we'll have audiences that are charismatic, non-charismatic, a mix of people. You're used to that. So, but they not may not be familiar. When you say come Holy Spirit, just for people's context, um, that would be sometimes often near the uh, end of the service when it goes into a ministry time. And um, not something that's there's not a music that some some churches do, but uh, at HCB when I was there, it wasn't there wasn't music playing, it was just come Holy Spirit, minister to people, might have uh, might have, you know, direction from the Lord, calling people towards this or towards that. Could you explain a little, and it, it kind of, it does feel very vineyard-esque at times. Um, and, but tell, tell me, for those who've not been there, what does it look like? What happens? Because people might want to understand more about that as they want to call forth, you know, the whole, you know, kind of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in their church. Explain yeah. more about what that looks like. The prayer come Holy Spirit is, as I said, the most ancient prayer in the church. All, all churches pray it, um, often at some point in the service, and particularly liturgical churches would pray, come Holy Spirit, at some point in the service. But Father Raniero Cantalamessa, who's the preacher to the papal household, um, absolutely wonderful man, just been made a cardinal in the Catholic Church. He says, when we pray this prayer, come Holy Spirit, it needs to be with an expectation that the Holy Spirit will come. And he says it's not, he says sometimes in, in the church in Italy, where he comes from, uh, at the end of a service, you turn to your neighbor and you say, you must come round to my home. But it's said with no expectation that the person will come. And he said, when we pray, come Holy Spirit, it shouldn't be like that, just a formality, like come Holy Spirit, and then we move on to the next bit of the service. We pray it with an expectation that the Holy Spirit will come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, comes like on the day of pentecost lives get changed people receive gifts people get healed um people experience god's love in a new way and we expect that um to happen and there's no hype there's no um the, the reason we don't necessarily have music wouldn't normally have music is because that could be seen as a way of sort of making people more emotional and we don't want that we don't we want it to be absolutely only attributable to the work of the spirit so there's no shouting there's no um it's just 
Lord, we pray today that you'd send your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And then we wait, and we wait to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And um, and sometimes they're words of prophecy or they're, you know, Paul says, when you come together, everyone has a, a word of prophecy. Um, it, obviously, in, in a church the size of HTB, you can't just have members of the congregation because you don't know who's there. But the team will come up with words of prophecy or words of knowledge, somebody that they sense God wants to heal. And we and we pray for people. And we see it's an amazing week. Jesus is alive. And we expect him to come by his spirit. It's a spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. It's how Jesus is present. Mm-hmm. Um, and we experience his presence. We experience the presence of Jesus as we worship. We experience the presence of Jesus through the word of God. That's how, how God speaks to us. But probably the, the, the main way in which God speaks to us today is through the word of God, the Bible. We expect that in the talk. Um, uh, but we also expect when we pray, come Holy Spirit. It's the presence of God, the presence of Jesus that changes people's lives. Okay, but, but Nikki, it's 2023. I mean, you're in post-Christian secular Britain. How can you, uh, and you're, you're having people, you know, people come up, pray, you're laying on hands, you're doing all those sorts of things. Uh, isn't that something of the past? Isn't, obviously I'm asking this rhetorically, but I'd like to hear, because, because, you know, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're 10, 20 years behind you in secularism here in the U S but headed that direction. Yet you seem to be quite a vibrant church that people might say that's that's a thing from the past that's a thing from even the majority world where pentecostal charismatic is booming but here you are in and people don't even know just like we're we're but in in london in the heart of it all in this booming charismatic church Ex- explain the contrast secular spirit filled how does that how does that happen in this time what you mean by secular i mean we, we are it is i mean uh, the uk is very secular but i mean, i i i'm Pepper and I are now involved in our 98th Alpha small group in a row. Wow. Wow. So um, uh, we ran our first group in October 1990, and we've run Alpha three times a year since then. So this is our 98th. We ran 96 at HDB, six online, um, seventh in uh, Kuala Lumpur online after we stepped down from HDB, and the 98th while we're running in our own home. Um, the culture changes all the time. And seven years ago, eight years ago, it was all atheism. Um, you know, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, Grayling, uh, we always had people who were atheists. That's completely gone in the UK. Um, it's, uh, people saw that was a complete dead end. Now there is a, a huge amount of spirituality. I swim in the Serpentine, which is a lake. I swam there this morning. I swim there every day. It's an outdoor lake. Uh, sometimes you have to break the ice to swim. This morning it was five degrees. Um, and But I swim there with a whole group of people. Uh, and I'm a member. Of, I, I'm, there are loads of people. There are 3,000 members. But um, the one particular group, um, I, I'm lots of groups I'm, I, I'm connected with there, but one group is called Dirty Tribe. Um, and there are 70 people in Dirty Tribe. And they are mainly, they're young. They're mainly in their 20s and 30s. And what are they into? Cold water swimming, obviously, because we all swim in cold water. They're, they're into healthy food. They're into, and they're all, they all have amazing bodies because they're into physical um, exercise and um, body, you know, looking after your body. 
They're into mushroom tea. Dirty is, is mushroom tea. They're into uh, Reiki, yoga. They meditate before they swim. There's a, there's a spirituality there. They're looking. They're searching. There's a spiritual hunger. And um, everyone on the planet is looking for purpose. Uh, every, it doesn't matter where you are. We've traveled to pretty much not every country in the world, but Korea, Japan, Vietnam, India, China, Latin America. It's the same everywhere you go, right across Europe. Uh, everyone is looking for purpose. What is the purpose of my life? Everyone is looking for love. They, the, people, one one person on our, in our online group said, I've been looking for love all my life, but I've been looking in impossible places. Mm. People are looking for love and they're looking for, uh, to belong. And uh, so all those things are, are in every human heart, uh, that search, and it's a spiritual search. So we, I, I said to my friends at the Serpentine, they said, you know, I, they asked me what I do. And I said, I talked about Alpha. And what is Alpha? Alpha is an opportunity to explore the meaning and purpose of life. Oh, we'd love to do that. If people want to, uh, our, our discussion on Alpha right now in our small group, it's like, it is riveting, the discussion. that The people who are in our small group, they can't wait for next week. I can't wait for Wednesday um, because the discussion is so interesting mm -hmm. last week was week three um and which is on the cross um and um so the first question uh, I, i'm hosting this group so i said um has anybody here ever needed to forgive someone mm -hmm. first person yeah i need to forgive my i i, I have to forgive my ex-husband and then i started to talk about that and then the, the the group starts to discuss this. How how do you forgive someone who's really hurt you badly? And then next question: Has anybody here ever needed to ask for forgiveness? And someone said, "Yeah, I need to ring my mother straight after this and ask forgiveness." Um, and then you get the discussion. It is riveting because everybody is is. These are, these are human issues. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. Everybody struggles with forgiveness. That's what we saw in our group. Everybody, this is an issue that all of us can discuss. And then the last question is, what do you feel about the idea of God forgiving you? And But, you know, obviously the discussion, how do we end at 9.15? Because everybody's got so much they want to say, and they're talking to each other. They form, the, the connections, when you start to talk about these kind of things, the connections that form... So they, they form a WhatsApp group because they, they want to be in contact with each other. And the conversation continues during the week on the WhatsApp group. It's because they form collect their belonging. And it's only week three. Um, so it's uh, – and there's this – so that's why our congregation is very you – know, the average age of the people coming on Alpha in our church is 27. So you've got this constant flood of young people coming into the church who are spiritually hungry, searching for meaning and purpose – very open with their lives, mainly single people who come on Alpha, not all, but mainly young single people who are on a, on a journey and want to make the most of their lives. Mm, fascinating. Okay, so and you mentioned Alpha. Generation, oh, please, go, keep going. Yeah, no, go on, go on, go on, Ed. But I mean, you know, the next generation, the, people, want to, the other thing, people want to be good. They want to be, they want to, 
they want to know what is good and how can I be good? And that's so interesting. I don't think that was the question we asked, but I think that's the question they're asking. It, and this next year, I'm talking about post-millennials. I'm talking about Generation Z that's coming up, um, Z or whatever you call it. Um, there's, <laughs> it's, um, it's so interesting, with the, the questions that they're asking and yeah. what they want to do. And, and they drink less. They don't drink. They don't smoke. They they're much less promiscuous, um, but they're in, they're into all kinds of different things like polyamorous relationships or ethical monogamy. I mean, it's just so. But they call it ethical, uh, not ethical non-monogamy. Right. And it's just they want to be ethical, but they don't want to be monogamous. They want spirituality without cost. I mean, it's just it's a fascinating generation that's that's coming through. But spirit, they desperately need Jesus. That's the common feature. Well, and I love that your your ongoing passion. As a matter of fact, it describes and defines a lot. Almost every question I ask you, because I was, you know, we we just, we had this tea I mentioned earlier, and because I just was fascinated. I had just taught at this school called St. Melitus, which I think is the largest theological college now in in Europe, um, that came birth through some of this ministry and their training, you know, pastors and ordinands, they would call them there. Uh, Alpha, what, what up to 30 million people in the Alpha classes now? Is it over 30 million already? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So over 30 million. So, so here's, and, and you mentioned alpha class. So we need to, we need to talk a little bit about that. Uh, what, for those who don't know, um, which I think, I mean, the familiarity, depending on if you're an evangelical free pastor, you may not, it's a denomination here in the U S you may not be as aware, you know, if you're, uh, you know, non-denominational may not be as aware, uh, yet other places more aware. So tell us what alpha does. You've given us a little hint. You talk about week three, there's several weeks, there's talks. Tell us more about it. Alpha started in 1977. It was a six-week course for, for people who were new to faith. Um, and then it grew under John and lots of other people were involved in it. I took it on in October 1990, a 10-week course. Uh, it was then for, for new Christians with a weekend on the Holy Spirit. And I didn't really want to take it on because I was interested in people outside of the church. And it wasn't really designed for people outside of the church. On the first course that I was leading... Um, someone brought uh, a guy called Matthew, who was had rowed for Cambridge University two years. Very good looking guy, uh, had just left university. And um, this guy who brought him said, Matthew is not interested in Christianity, but he's heard there's some very attractive young women on this course. And he's come to have a look around during the, during the, during the talk. The, 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 the pattern for the evening is we have a meal and we have a, a talk or a video and then we have the small groups. So Matthew doesn't want to stay for the small groups. He's just come to look around during the talk. So I did something a little bit naughty. I, I don't recommend it, but I, uh, I, I, was, I, I just introduced him to one of the most attractive young women um, uh, during the coffee break. And he decided he would stay for the small groups um, and he stayed for the rest of the course. He encountered Jesus. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he married my wife, Pippa's younger sister. So Matthew oh. is now my brother-in-law. Oh, well. Um, and um, on the next course, he invited his sister and a number of his friends. So I had a group made up of people outside of the church. And all of them came to faith. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit on the Alpha weekend. And we had a reunion 25 years later of that group. And all of them were serving the Lord somewhere around the world. One or two were in Africa or somewhere else. Uh, but most we had 10 of 10 people, I think, to lunch in our garden uh, in the summer and, and 25 years on. 
Um, and so we realized that this course could be adapted for people outside the church. And so we did that and it grew, it grew to a point where we had about 300 people coming on each course. And then we had all these church leaders ringing me, Baptist church leaders, uh, every part of the church ringing and saying, how do you do it? And I thought, I can't spend all my time on the phone explaining it. I'll get them all in one room at the same time and explain it and that will be it. So in May 93, we had a conference for church leaders. A thousand church leaders turned up to my amazement. I told them all how to do it. And I thought that was it. But then they said, well, will you come to Scotland and do the same? Will you come to Hong Kong? Um, and we started doing conferences all over the world. And it spread now to, you know, every. I think every country in the world pretty well has runs Alpha. And, um, and it just caught on because people saw the impact we were in in, in latin america um uh six weeks ago and uh, pastor there um had said he'd had 200 um uh, he'd run alpha in 200 small groups he'd seen phenomenal growth the church had grown to fourteen thousand people now and uh so when he said to the post the pastors um you know come 500 pastors turned up to hear because when, when if you see what's happening in another church that's growing then you go oh how did that happen and so the church plants that we do that we've mentioned like the 140 church plants they're all alpha is front and center for some churches alpha is like an app it's like they do connect groups you do um jam making and you do alpha but for us alpha is the operating system because we're focused on the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. The Luke Great Commission, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. The, 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 the reason the Spirit is given is in order to be his witnesses. And we need water coming in, the Holy Spirit coming in, and water going out. We go out. We're not inward-looking, we're outward-looking. Uh, Martin Luther defined, defined sin as homo in se in covatus est. Human beings look, looking in on themselves. That's not how we're meant to be. We're meant to be outward-looking. And um, it's true for a nation. a nation. If a nation looks outward, it becomes great. If it looks inward, it, it is diminished. Um, if a church looks outwards, it, it grows. If it looks inwards, it's diminished. A human being, if we look outward, we become we become more. And if we look inward, we're diminished. So it's it it's that's the whole um that's why we put alpha front and center. It doesn't it doesn't have to be alpha? You know, if you've got a better way of evangelizing, do the better way. I'm not committed to alpha. I, I will continue doing alpha while it while I find it the best way. But if I find a better way, I'll drop alpha and do the better way because I'm committed to doing what Jesus told us to do because I love Jesus and I follow, I try to follow Jesus and I want to, I want people to encounter him. And if I find a better way of it happening, I'm, I'm, I'm not remotely committed to alpha, but at the moment, if I find it works and I haven't found anything else that works as well. So I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me because I, I think it's hard, it's hard to, um, overstate how committed to the Great Commission to evangelism you are. And and that has led you to do all kinds of things. But you keep coming back to in that sense that North Star is you want to see people 
uh, trust Jesus in some pretty broad places, um, which again, you're in the Church of England, you're, um, it's interesting too, and, and again, in a way that like, no, it's very, very unusual. I haven't seen any other ministry that's conversion centric, like, like Alpha would be engage in Catholicism. I'm, I'm not, not, not everyone's excited about that. And you know that, but so talk to me a little bit about in engaging in that space and why with a, you know, conversion center call, uh, both why you engage in that space and how it's been received in that space. Very early on, I think it was about 1992, a Catholic priest um, in disguise came on um, the Alpha course. And at the end of the course, he said to me, um, there is nothing in Alpha that is contrary to Catholic teaching. He said there are things we'd want to add, but that's true of every denomination. Um, would, you know, It's Alpha, it's not Omega. There, there's, there are a lot of Greek letters after Alpha, and there's a lot to do after the, what, what the Catholics would call the kerygma, the initial announcement. Then we got an invitation from the head of the Catholic Church, Cardinal Hume, to go and um, do an Alpha conference at Westminster Cathedral. Um, and some, some evangelical churches wrote in and said, uh, if we did the conference, they would stop running Alpha. And I thought, what a bizarre thing. So are you suggesting that, you know, because Alpha is basically the gospel. Are you suggesting that Catholics shouldn't hear the gospel? I mean, what is, what is that suggestion? So anyway, we went ahead and did the conference. And we had, we do a model, at the conferences in those days, we used to do a model alpha evening. And we used to do the evening, how can I be filled with the spirit? With an opportunity for people to receive the gift of tongues. And that night at Westminster Cathedral, there was singing in tongues like I had never heard before. It was so beautiful. And I went home that night and I read from Acts 10, where um, Peter says, if God has given the same spirit to them, who are we to oppose God? And every, every Christian is a son and daughter of God the Father. Yeah, let that me just let me up for one, one for a second, because there's a little context that people will, you know, because when they hear Westminster Cathedral, people assume here that that's you, as a Catholic cathedral, just so everyone's aware. Yes. So, so that, the story makes more sense if you understand that it's a Catholic yeah. cathedral. Yeah, it's a Catholic cathedral. Yeah, right. it's in a Catholic cathedral. So every 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 follower of G, everyone, every Christian is a son or a daughter of God. That makes us brothers and sisters. Every Christian is loves Jesus. That unites us. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit living within them. So we are united by the Trinity, not by our doctrine, but by the Trinity. Um, by our relationship to, to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the, then the Alpha Sard to spread in the Catholic Church, and the Catholic bishops in France set up a commission to look at Alpha, a theological, uh, a group of theologians to look at Alpha. And they came up with 15 points they wanted to challenge us over. And I think seven of them were to do with the translation into French, which was easy to solve. Um, another six were to do with things that were actually improvements. For example, when I said the universal church, I talked about the universal church being the church around the world. And they pointed out actually the universal church is the church around the world and back through history. So I corrected that. and We improved the course as a result. They had two that were, were tricky. 
One was where I I, I quoted a, a an, an Anglican bishop called Bishop J.C. Ryle, and they thought it was too strong about sin or something. So I I said, well, what about Father Raniero Cantalamessa, who said exactly the same thing, slightly stronger. Um, and they were very happy because I substituted with a Catholic quote. And then there was one other left. And um, uh, I had I, I had warning of this. So I had the Catholic catechism. And I said, but the, but what we teach here is in the Catholic catechism. So they said, yes, we know it's in the Catholic catechism, but we don't like it. But that was <laughs> it was. Um, uh, but they had to concede it was there. So we footnoted. If you look at questions of life, which is the syllabus about Alpha, you'll see a footnote to the Catholic catechism. And that solved it. And since then, that was probably 25 years ago. We've had no objection from and about 25 or 30 percent of the courses are now in the Catholic Church. 25 to 30 percent of the courses. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, you know, I, I have lots of questions and we even we have we had some robust discussion about this at your house and never J.C. Ryle got we, Wycliffe College. We got to remember Jay Cliff, uh, Wycliffe Hall got to have that connection to J.C. Ryle. OK, so so but but again, I think it's important to you, people may and I know people do dis, disagree. People, you know, you, you've had robust discussions about those other people, but a lot of it's just to me, I, understanding you, it's so driven by your desire to see women and men trust and follow Christ. Um, and, you know, conversionism, the technical term for uh, where we would be, is not something that's as common in a Catholic conversation. I was raised Catholic and would not have heard the message of conversionism that you, you know, you know, trust and follow Christ. Be born again is terms that we didn't use. So so what then when when someone is if almost 20 to 30 percent are used in a Catholic setting, what is it that uh, are they calling to the same trust in Christ? Help me understand a little more. Unpack that a little bit more. What, what's different? What's the same? Bishop Ambrose, who opened the first Catholic conference we did at Westminster Cathedral, um, he said, we need this in the Catholic Church. Uh, he said, because many Catholics have been sacramentalized, but not evangelized. And we need to evangelize our own people. Um, and um, uh, so for, for I think for many Catholics, um, Part of it is evangelizing that their own people uh, who, as Bishop Ambrose says, have been sacramentalized, but not evangelized, but then also reaching out to people outside of the church. Um, and um, so that's what's happening. And it's happening um, yesterday. Um, so I was in this one of our church plants in Liverpool. Um, and um, I, I, Pippa and I were interviewed in their morning service, and then we did an Alpha event in the afternoon. About 500 people came from, uh, sorry, 300 people came from churches around Liverpool, um, and including one Catholic priest, and he brought up all the people who'd been on Alpha in his church, and they were just on fire. Um, and he'd been running it. He told me he was at that, comp that first conference in 1996 at Westminster Cathedral. And he's been running Alpha in his parish ever since then. So for 27 years, that Catholic priest has been running Alpha. And he had some of the people who, who'd come to faith on Alpha with him on that team. And they were just the most lovely on-fire Christians. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I feel passionately about this because I have a friend who's not a Christian, very influential man, not a Christian. But he said to me many years ago, he said to me, you Catholics 
and you, you uh, Church of England, you Protestants, you look exactly the same to me. You both have these churches. You both say the Lord's Prayer. You both do something with bread and wine. He said, whatever it is you disagree about, and he said, I have no idea what it is. It's got nothing to do with my life. But while you're fighting each other, I'm not interested. Mm. And I just realized that if we are fighting each other, that is a barrier to evangelization. And Jesus prayed that we would be one in order that the world will believe. And if we keep on fighting each other, the world is not going to believe. So that's why it is absolutely key that churches put evangel evangelism front and center. Because if you put anything else front and center, if you put unity front and center, all you'll do is end up discussing the things that you disagree about and you will end up more disunited. And we've seen a lot of examples of that recently. You just fight, you end up fighting each other. If you, you, know, put, it, if you put evangelism first, you have to be united because otherwise the world will not believe. If you put renewal front and center, You'll just be renewed and renewed and renewed until you become like the Dead Sea, so full of the Holy Spirit, so full of salt that you're dead. But if you if you put evangelism front and center, you have to be filled with the Spirit because we, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. You can't be a, a witness to Jesus without the Holy Spirit. People are not going to be interested unless you're loving joyful, peaceful, kind, generous, self-controlled. So you need the Holy Spirit. So all these things happen. Discipleship. You If you put discipleship first, you'll just get your head full of, full of knowledge. Uh, but if you, put, if you put evangelism front and center, you will have to grow in discipleship. You will have to grow in the likeness of Jesus. You'll have to have a greater understanding and, and un understand because you'll be talking to people about faith and you need to have answers to their questions. And you'll need to be not answers to their questions, but you'll need to be at least to understand where they're coming from. So everything follows if you put evangelism front and center. Yeah, well, I love the call for man front front center. I know we had a kind of a robust discussion about some of the questions of the of the breath, and even one of the things I, I think would be helpful for people to understand is that you might even disagree. Uh, you know, you and I dis disagree on some things, but but when you see the passion that drives is evangelism, it helps to make more sense that uh, getting that message everywhere is what you know, gets gets you up in the morning and 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 propels yeah. you propels you go swim in an ice cold lake. Yeah, and that's but it's also why we why we plant churches because once you've encountered Jesus, you need a community uh, where you you feel at home, where you can where um, where where you can have, have have a culture where the gospel is the most powerful message in the world. Paul writes Romans one sixteen: the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who has faith. We have the most powerful message in the world. The problem is the packaging we put it in yeah. often is off-putting to people outside of the church. So we have to change the packaging. But right now, people are saying, oh, we don't seem to be reaching the people outside of the church. So why don't we change the message and make it more acceptable? And they're watering down the message and you end up with syncretism. It's basically the, mess the culture dictates the message. The, the culture should never dictate the message. The message is in the, is in the Bible and it's unchanging. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. If you water down the message, it loses its power. But 
the packaging has to change, constantly has to change, because that's why I'm in a small group on Alpha every time, because the culture today is not the same as the culture six months ago, mm. certainly not the same as the culture 300 years ago. And often the packaging comes from 300 years ago or 100 years ago or 50 years ago or 10 years ago. But we need a packaging that is for today. And today, the culture here has changed in the last three months. Yeah. It's, it's like uh, and, and it, everything is moving. And you've got to find a way of presenting the unchanging truth. Mm. In a, that's, what, that's what the Apostle Paul was doing all the time. He was trying to find an appropriate way for every culture he visited. Uh, of presenting this but the message was the same that didn't change so we have the most powerful message in the world and we need to get it out there hmm. well we, we've gone long but it's been so i mean I, I, so helpful to kind of understand where you're thinking and where you're headed but i, I do want to if i could i just ask one one more question because um i share your passion for uh evangelism being front and center uh it's what you know what i've been serving here at the week college billy graham center um and what you know we we've been passionate about promoting and celebrating. And I remember when I, when I came to this job, you know, I'm leaving this job now, when I came to this job, the Washington post asked me to write an article about why I changed jobs. And I said, uh, my, my article began with, or was centered around Jesus last word should be our first priority. And they put a big headline, call yourself a Christian, start talking about Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, Nikki, I got more hate mail that week than probably in a whole lot of time, it's become controversial and challenging and problematic. So my question for you is talking to our audience, which is pastors and church leaders around the world, where do they start? And let me just say that the kind of resources that, so you don't have to necessarily say the alpha part, but but again, for a lot of churches, that's going to be a, a place where they're just going to plug right in. But, um, but all of us can start somewhere. If I'm a pastor and church leader, evangelism has waned. How do we bring it back front and center? Give us some practical advices to pastors and church leaders. Well, I'm not surprised you got so much hate mail oh, I did. Um, yeah. as a result of that, because, again, this is how the culture has changed. So, I mean, on, on Alpha, one of the things we've had to do is change the order of the talks, uh, because we used to have the, the Bible talk. So you, you want people to be going, yes, 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 and yes. Uh, so you're... You, the, the early talks is, you know, is there more to life than this? Who is Jesus? Why did he die? Faith. And then we used to have the Bible. And then we'd have prayer. Because prayer was like thought to be boring, whereas the Bible, everyone kind of felt that the Bible was something that ought to be honoured. Now, prayer is so much easier. Eat, pray, love. My friends at the, at the Serpentine, they meditate. They're, there's no problem about prayer at all. Everybody, but the Bible is toxic. Mm. Why? Because there are things in the Bible that that really challenge our culture. And the same with we had used to have telling others and then healing. Healing was really near the end because the idea that God would supernaturally heal you was really hard. Uh, now healing, my friends at the at the same time they're all into healing. Like like spiritual healing is no problem at all. They love the idea of healing, but telling others, that's toxic. The idea that you you can believe what you like, but don't try and tell somebody else what they should believe. Right. Because that is that is toxic in our society. So the idea of evangelism, if it's unless it's unless people understand why we're doing it and how we do it, is a toxic idea. 
And um, but it is, and I come back to I think something I said near near the beginning. Actually, the greatest, the most loving thing we can do for anyone is to tell them the good news about Jesus. And the, the greatest injustice in the world is never to have heard the good news. So that it has to be our priority to, um, because if you really believe that Jesus died for every person on the planet, that Jesus was raised to life and he's alive today, that is such good news. It means that this life is not the end. It means forgiveness is possible. Your life has a purpose, that, that there is such a thing as love, and that, that love makes, that, that Jesus makes a difference to our lives. And our lives, have a, our lives have a purpose, and we can make a difference with our lives to this world. That is great news, and everybody needs to hear it. You've been listening to Nikki Gumbel. Be sure to check out the Alpha course at alpha.org, as well as Nikki's podcast, Leadership Conversations with Nikki Gumbel. Thanks again for listening to the Sessor Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews like this one, as well as other great content from ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation helpful today, we'd love for you to take a few moments, leave us a review that'll help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.